Hi, this is Lucinda. I'm a healthcare accreditation coordinator and an RN. I have no affiliation with the Joint Commission at all, but today I'm going to talk to you about EMTALA. Sounds like a made-up word, right? It stands for Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. EMTALA is also known as the Anti-Dumping Patient Statute. This act was created for many reasons. One being that there was a concern over an increasing number of complaints related to emergency departments refusing to accept or treat patients in emergent conditions because they didn't have any insurance. Back in the day, you would hear wild stories of EMTs performing wallet biopsies to determine which hospital a patient should go to. This was even depicted in a popular show, The Sopranos. You know, when Tony Soprano gets shot by Uncle Junior, yes, yes, I may happen to be a fan of The Sopranos. I feel blessed that when I was an EMT basic that I never learned how to do a wallet biopsy. It, I think that's just cruel. But, you know, that's why they created Mtala. So you're probably wondering, what are some basics of Mtala? Mtala basically states that for an individual who comes into the emergency department and requests or has a request made on their behalf for an examination or treatment for a medical condition, that all Medicare participating hospitals with dedicated emergency departments are required to provide one of the following. Number one an appropriate and timely medical screening examination, or a MSE. And just FYI, triage is not considered a medical screening. This has to be done by a licensed provider, like a doctor or a nurse practitioner. Number two, necessary stabilizing treatment for individuals having an emergent condition, or an EMC. Um, and, you know, just FYI, again, you cannot officially prove someone is having an emergency legally without performing the medical screening examination. Number three, an appropriate transfer to another hospital that has the capacity and capability to stabilize the individual. And we will talk about all the legal ramifications of this um, further along in this podcast because things can get very, very sticky. So let's talk about transfer. The hospital may transfer an individual only when it does not have the staff and facilities available to stabilize the individual's emergency medical condition. All hospitals that have specialized capabilities must accept appropriate transfers of an individual protected under the EMTALA Act if the hospital has the capacity to treat the individual. Capability is defined as there being physical space, equipment, supplies, and specialized services that the hospital provides. Doesn't this make you think like, oh my God, what's been going on during COVID then? I bet there's a lot of um, EMTALA issues. Okay, but for example, a hospital that performs an angioplasty must generally accept a transfer of an individual having a heart attack who needs this procedure on an emergency basis from a hospital that does not offer angioplasty. And in our little tiny area where I live, 
we have a hospital like that. They're basically, they just do basic things. So if a patient goes in there and they need um, some kind of intervention on their heart, they are transferred to the um, closest hospital that does this, which is a little, a little ways away. And with capacity, um, only if the hospital lacks capacity may it refuse a transfer. Moving along, hospitals must provide EMTALA mandated services regardless of the ability of the individual to pay for them. So what else is the hospital required to do? Report the receipt of individuals it believes may have been transferred inappropriately. Post signs in the emergency department describing an individual's right to an emergency treatment under Section 1867 of the Act. Maintain a physician on call list for provision of stabilizing treatment. Maintain emergency room logs and records of individuals transferred to or from the hospital. Provide an appropriate and timely medical examination. This is on a case-by-case judgment if there's a complaint because, you know, if you are there for, say, an ankle sprain, you may be waiting quite a while in the ED. So what does it mean by timely? Okay, what if the hospital does not meet these requirements and regulations? The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, enforces EMTALA regulations. If violations are not corrected in a timely manner, violations may result in termination of the hospital's Medicare provider agreement. It is a big deal. There is also civil monetary penalties of up to $50,000 for each violation by a hospital, as well as a separate penalty for EMTALA violations by physicians. CMS refers to refers cases involving EMTALA to the U.S. Health and Human Services and also to the Office of the Inspector General. The OIG, or Inspector General, uh, makes the determination of whether they are going to get a monetary penalty and uh, exclude a physician from Medicare or Medicaid programs. So yeah, that's what the doctor usually gets. They get excluded from reimbursement from Medicare and Medicaid programs, which is, I mean, is huge. If this is not serious enough for you, the act also provides a private right of enforcement through a lawsuit by any individual who is harmed as a direct result of the violation or a hospital that suffers a financial loss as a result of another hospital violating Intala. This would be like, say, if this hospital over here does angioplasties and we don't like that hospital. We're going to exclude business from them and send them to this hospital that is obviously further out. That might, you know, hurt the patient because they could get to this hospital quicker, but we don't like that. We don't want to give them business. You know, it's something like to that extent. So just a tip, when reading a legal document, always pay attention to how things are defined. The same goes for joint commission standards, really. So let's first look at the definition for dedicated emergency department. A hospital has a dedicated emergency department if it meets only one of the following criteria. Of course, if it is licensed by the state as an emergency department, that makes sense. If it is held out to the public as providing treatment for emergency medical conditions without an appointment. Hmm. This is where wording gets a little sticky. 
This could be like an urgent care, and many organizations do not realize this. Um, The third criteria is, has provided emergency care on an unscheduled basis in at least one-third of its outpatient's visits in the previous year. Again, that, that can be an urgent care. So, you know, if, if your organization has an urgent care in it, it needs to have those EMTALA signs in it. It needs to have a way to transfer them out. If, they can, if you cannot stabilize them, it is a big deal. So when does the hospital obligation of EMTALA end? Number one, the appropriate examination indicates the individual does not have an emergent condition. Number two, the individual is stabilized and discharged or transferred. Number three, the individual is admitted to that hospital in order to stabilize the patient. So when would a hospital be surveyed for this? The only time somebody is, CMS is going to come survey specifically for an EMTALA is going to be if there was a formal complaint by somebody reported. So CMS will arrive and try to determine the following. If the hospital is in compliance with EMTALA requirements, the complaint that led to the survey involves a violation of EMTALA, there is evidence of violations in the sample of cases that the organization is required to supply for the investigation. That's right. So they don't just, they're not just going to inspect or investigate the complaint, they are going to look at the big picture. They want to make sure while they're there, they get more for their money and they look at a lot of things. So if there is evidence of violations in the sample cases, again, the alleged violation constitutes an immediate or serious threat to individuals' health and safety, or if there are patterns of behavior or practice that might indicate a violation. And that one specifically is more like for physicians, I feel. So the investigation focus. The focus of the investigation is on the initial complaint. A sample of cases from the last 6 to 12 months, including the complaint case, as well as an overall EMTALA compliance. Again, they're not just going to focus on the complaint. If the complaint is not substantiated, the surveyor must still be assured that the hospital is in compliance. After a compliant After a complaint um, is made, the surveyor's first step, and I'm going to just give you from the eyes of the surveyor, um, this kind of is like a little twist on things. So from the eyes of the surveyor, after a complaint is made, the surveyor's first step is going to be to review the complaint. They are making sure all facts of the complaint are clear and that they have all the information that they need to prepare for an investigation. This is all still while they're in the office. The surveyor is going to request performance information from the organization and any complaints against the organization in the past three to five years. This is considered all part of the background information needed for the investigation. In some cases, the surveyor may actually call the person who made the complaint to verify critical and key aspects of the complaint. Verification is very important in this step. They need to get all the facts. They will review... um, And this is really important if you're in management or you are under investigation, it's important to know this. They're going to review Appendix V, which is Responsibilities of Medicare Participating Hospital in Emergency Cases, and the State Operations Manual, Chapter 5, um, Complaint Procedures, Section 5400. Um, They will then compare the regulations to the primary complaint and write down any questions to ask while at the hospital. 
Some examples of questions that they will formulate will be things like, was the individual at the hospital on the date in question? Were they actually there? Are they listed in the emergency department log? What was the sequence of events? And they're gonna come up with the timeline. How were individuals received in the ED? How were individuals triaged? How are OB patients handled? There's a big old section on OB you can read on your own. Um, where is the on-call list for physicians? Is it visible and is it current? Is the information correct on it? How does the hospital handle transfers? And as I talked about before, EMTALA regulations cover the following requirements. So they're going to want you to have those signs up in the ED. Uh, record maintenance. They're going to look for that on-call list. They're going to look for the patient log. Uh, they want to know about your medical screening examination. That's going to be by your provider. That is not triage. That is, that is not triage. You have to be seen by a provider. Um, they're going to ask about stabilization, treatment delay, transfer, and they're going to talk about, uh, look for whistleblower protection. And they're going to look to see um, the recipient hospital responsibilities. So if the organization is small, only one surveyor may come. But if it's big, they may send several. So let's talk about some cases in the media. Um, okay, so there's this hospital in Alabama. They entered into an 80,000 settlement agreement with the OIG in 2018 regarding of, uh, allegations of failure to provide an adequate medical screening examination and stabilizing treatment. The patient was a 35-year-old male with chest pain and shortness of breath who presented to the ED accompanied by his girlfriend. The patient requested to see a physician and became belligerent when the nurse asked him why. That led to the patient being escorted out of the ED by security. Several minutes later, the patient returned to the ED. This time, the patient's girlfriend drove up to the ambulance bay and reported that the patient had suffered a seizure and was lying in her truck. She was informed by staff that they would not help get the patient out of the truck. In addition, the security guard told her she had to leave. The patient's girlfriend then took him to another hospital where he was unfortunately pronounced dead within 20 minutes of his arrival. And here are a few psychiatric ones just for, you know, your information. I think this stuff's really unfortunate. Um, and I'm gonna go over these very quickly. Um, there was a case where a woman presented to the ED complaining of depression and suicidal thoughts, but was later discharged with instructions to follow up with her primary care physician. You, you cannot do that. That's horrible. Um, there was another case where a child presented to the ED following violent outbursts, but was later discharged with instructions to follow up with the primary care physician. Yeah. <laughs> and this one really breaks my heart. Um, a man presented to the ED stating his mind was disturbed, but later eloped from the ED into single degree weather wearing paper scrubs while his discharge was processed. His body was found about 300 feet from the hospital. The cause of death was hypothermia. I mean, that's terrible. So just to quickly recap, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act of 1986 is designed to present, uh, prevent patient dumping. It applies to all individuals coming to the emergency department of a hospital that accepts Medicare funding.
If someone comes to the ED requesting care, the hospital has to screen the person to determine whether an emergency medical condition exists. You can only do this if they have a proper medical exam by a provider, a physician. So if the patient has an emergency medical condition the and the hospital does not necessarily have to completely resolve the patient's problem, but it does have to stabilize the individual or transfer the patient when permitted under limited circumstances if the condition cannot be stabilized. The patient has an emergency medical condition if there are acute symptoms so severe um, that if immediate medical attention is not provided, the person's health could be put in serious jeopardy. An emergency medical condition may also exist if there is danger of serious impairment of bodily functions or serious dysfunction of body parts or organs, as well as if the patient is pregnant or having contractions, um, and there is not enough time to safely transfer the patient. The transfer may pose a threat to the patient or the unborn child. So that is basically your EMTALA law. It gets sticky when there's issues with security a lot of times because, you know, if the patient's waiting and they get upset and start throwing a fit in the ED, I wish we all know this happens, um, and say they become violent, you know, are, is the hospital still liable for, you know, not having the doc, I mean, the doctor has to see them no matter what. I mean, that's what the Imtala law is. But on the other hand, it really protects a lot of people, you know, because we're not, they're not checking insurance anymore or holding you up because of your insurance or the, or because you can't pay. They're going to save your life and stabilize you, which is great. So it's just something to chew on and think about, I think. So I want you all to have a wonderful day and thank you for listening today.